Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, Today we are continuing our series called Kingdom Come. And the series is all about how there's prophecy from the Old Testament that, that talks about Jesus and it's fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. And what we see is there's over 300 prophecies that are spoken about in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And, and of those 300 plus prophecies, there's about 60 of them that are messianic. And what that means is they talk specifically about the Messiah, who he will be, what he will do, where he will come from. And the rest are uh, what, we, what are called pictorial prophecies. So they give an image of what, what the Messiah may be like, but it's not specifically about the Messiah. So there's some foreshadowing, but it's not foretelling. And so it might take a, a situation from the Old Testament, and Jesus' life mirrors this situation from the Old Testament, but it's not necessarily specifically about it. So there's over 300 of these prophecies, though, and Christ fulfills every single one of them. If you just take the 60-plus Messianic prophecies of Christ, and you take any eight of them at random and ask someone to fulfill those eight prophecies, uh, a mathematician named uh, Peter Stoner did the research on this, and he published a paper a few years ago about it, and he said the odds of one person being able to fulfill eight of the 61 messianic prophecies of Christ are one in 100 trillion, no, trillion? No, it was more than that, gazillion, bagillion, I forget what the word is now. Uh, that's what I get for losing my notes. Quadrillion. That's what it was. One in 100 quadrillion. I've only said that like nine times. How could I forget it? Um, so it's one in 100 quadrillion. So basically the odds are if you took a silver dollar, you marked it, and you placed it randomly in the state of Texas. It's a big place. And you covered the state of Texas two feet deep with silver, silver dollars and asked someone to pick the one that you had marked. That's the odds that one person could randomly fulfill eight of the 61 messianic prophecies of Christ, let alone the 300 prophecies of Christ. So when we look at the prophecy, it's not just nice stories. It doesn't just make us feel better. Um, but it really is something that we can, we can rest assured that Christ is who he said he is. That there's no way he could have accidentally done this. There's no way he could have manipulated this. And it can give us a sense of peace and comfort knowing that he really is who he says he is. That when he calls himself the Son of God, that we can rest assured in the fact that he really is the Son of God, among other reasons. So today, what we do is, is we're looking at this with anticipation and hope of who he is, because the truth is, many of us at Christmas time, we look at this season, whether it's the new year, whether it's Christmas itself, with a sense of anticipation and hope. Um, I know my girls, my wife is ahead of the game, and I'm not trying to compare wives, but my wife has already wrapped all the presents and they're under the tree at our house. So my wife, she's on her Christmas game, okay? She's doing a good job. But when my girls saw the gifts under the tree, they were like, both my 16 and 13-year-old were like, okay, hey, you know, that's a lot of gifts. My 13-year-old, Emma, is Emma here today? Is she, okay, because, well, she came last night, so I didn't want to tell the story if she was in the room listening to this. Um, but <laughs> my youngest daughter actually went through all the gifts to figure out how many she had, and then she itemized them and was like, okay, this is a big gift, and this might be the same size as this thing that I asked for, right? Like, that organization came from her, her mother, not me, for sure, okay? So there's this anticipation, like, I wonder what it is, I wonder what it could be, and there's this anticipation when it comes to prophecy as well. When the people from the Old Testament are looking forward to what was promised 
Uh, they're looking forward to what could be, looking forward to the Messiah. There's this anticipation. And that same sense of anticipation should be present in us as believers because we're anticipating what Christ will do, uh, what he wants to restore, how he wants to work. And so that's why we want to look at this. This is an especially appropriate topic at the season, I believe. So we want to walk through this with you today at another prophecy of Christ. Um, this one comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And I'll tell you, the book of Deuteronomy is not an easy read. Um, it is a lot of principles and precepts and laws and restrictions and all these kind of things that if you're reading through scripture, this is where you can get bogged down a little bit. It gets kind of boring, if I can say that without being sacrilegious, um, because it's just not easy to read. There's, it doesn't seem like there's a narrative there. And then we get to this portion, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and, G, and this is where Moses is talking, and he says this. He says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So he says, God will raise up a prophet who's going to be just like me from the nation of Israel, and you better listen to this guy, is what he says. That's the Mel translated version is what that is. But he basically says, um, the same way you revere me, you're going to revere him. He's going to be like me. And so what we see in scripture over and over is that Moses is a Christ type in literature. So Moses foreshadows in many ways who Christ is and what he does. Uh, the fact that, that Moses... Um, Gosh, there's a number of things. We talked last week about how the, the Bethlehem, children in Bethlehem were killed uh, because, because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. We see the same thing. Pharaoh was trying to snuff out Moses' life, so he had children killed, and uh, Moses was rescued miraculous through, through that. So we see those parallels. We see um, the fact that he was a redeemer. He was a savior. He was a rescuer of the nation of Israel. And this is what the Messiah was to do. He was supposed to be a rescuer of the nation of Israel. So we see Moses is a Christ type. We see a lot of parallels in their stories and in their lives. And Moses was revered by the nation of Israel. Uh, we think a lot of him as believers, as Christians in the Western church, but the truth is we don't look at him the same way as the nation of Israel does. In fact, we probably don't even look at him the same way that, that Islamic people look at him. Because even in the, the Muslim faith, they, they revere Moses. They hold him in high esteem as a prophet. Um, and so in many ways, even as Western believers, we don't look at him the same way. But what Moses is saying is, hey, the same way that I'm revered, that you revere me, you need to be ready to revere this prophet that's going to come out of the nation of Israel. And so let's fast forward now to the book of John, John chapter 7. Jesus was preaching the word um, to a group of people, and people were always amazed by Jesus, how he taught, what he taught, um, and and I love the fact that he always pointed people back to God, that it was always about God. He never tried to take the credit for himself. But in John chapter 7, verse 40, he was preaching the word to people. And in verse 40, it says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there's this confusion because people hear Jesus and they go, man, this guy's incredible. This is, this is so good. This is the prophet. And when they say the prophet, they are talking about the prophet that Moses said is going to come your way. This is a prophet they'd been looking forward to. This is a prophet they'd been anticipating. And so some of them said, this is that guy that Moses talked about. And then others said, no, 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 this is the Messiah. This is the Christ that we've been waiting for. Little did they know he was both. 
But somebody said, no, 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 this can't be the Christ because he's from Galilee. And Christ has to come from Bethlehem. So somebody remembered their Sunday school, and they went back, and we talked about this some. But Micah 5.2 talks about um, Christ being born, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And so they remembered that. If you remember the story, uh, I think two weeks ago we talked about Herod, the wise men. The wise men uh, were looking for the king of the Jews, and they said, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they knew their Sunday school. They said, oh, no, no, the, the Messiah is not coming from Galilee. He's coming from Bethlehem. And Galilee was kind of a backwater town, rural. Can anybody relate to living in a rural backwater town a little bit? <laughs> you know what's funny? We love rural churches and rural pastors uh, around here, and we just have a heart for them. And um, it's funny, I'll talk to pastors from other communities around us, and I'll say something about being rural, and they'll be like, Pastor, you're in Indiana, you are not rural. And I'm like, okay, we're not rural compared to you, because you are rural, we're just rural. You're rural. You know what I mean? Like, like you still got dial-up at your church, okay? Like, they don't even have the interwebs at your place. So, like, it's just different though, right? We're still rural because if you have friends visit you from any major metropolitan area, they're like, oh, this is a nice little town, but it, right? So there's levels of ruralness. But this is the thing. This is what you have to understand. There's a bias against rural in the world we live in. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, it's true. It's funny when, um, I might be dramatizing this a little bit, but it's funny when I'll meet people, uh, I'll meet pastors from other communities or larger cities, and they'll be like, oh, where do you pastor at? Oh, I pastor in Indiana. Oh, the state of Indiana. And this is like 30 miles away. They've never heard of our town before. Uh, no, no, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Indiana, Pennsylvania? Oh, you've all had this conversation, I'm sure. That's right, Indiana, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Boy, they didn't have another name. They just came up with another state, didn't they? Like, you're the first person to come up with that joke. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> well, how big is your town? Uh, you know, 10 or 12,000. We got a college there. Whoa, little town. Wow, it's, that's amazing you guys could do anything there. It's amazing, right? You got all your teeth. That's crazy that you come from a, you got all your teeth. You speak in complete sentences. That's shocking. I can't believe that people from rural towns could speak in the king's English, right? It's like, come on. But there is a bias because people think that people live in rural areas or, or country areas that, that we're backwards, that we're unintelligent, that uh, there's always some sort of marrying your cousin joke somewhere in there. And do you know what? There wasn't any different in scripture. Did you know that? There was the same kind of bias about certain areas and certain regions. But this is what you have to understand. Jesus dedicated his life to ministry in rural areas. Did you know that? Very, very rarely did he ever venture into major metropolitan areas. He, he gave his life for the areas and the people that were largely forgotten by, about by others. Uh, there's a passage I want to read to you. It's in John chapter 1. And this is just Jesus beginning his ministry. He was inviting disciples to join him. And this is what it says in John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of jo uh, Joseph. Now, this is what this is what Philip says. He says, we found the one that Moses was talking about. We found him. He's from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. And here's Nathaniel's response. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. 
Because this is what Nathaniel said. I've been to Nazareth. They got one stoplight. They don't even have groceries in their Walmart, right? Like, they got a gas station, but it ain't even sheets. They don't have any made-to-order food in that place. So there's nothing good that can come out of that place. And let's be honest. In the region we live in, there are many people that would say, what good could come out of Indiana? What good could come out of containing? What good could come out of, right? Come on. But I, I want you to know something. God has a plan and a purpose for this region and for this area, for this people. Um, and I want you to know that God loves people in regions that have been forgotten about. So when God sends Jesus to all these backwater places, he's doing it because he loves these people desperately. He loves them passionately. He hasn't forgotten about them. And so when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's just talking from his heart. He's talking from his experience. Man, there's nothing going on in these areas. There's nothing happening here. Nothing good could come out of it. And this is just a bias that he carries with him. In Acts chapter 3, verse 20, it says, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So let me make that a little simpler to understand. Um, we're talking about Jesus who was sent from heaven to earth. Um, and this is after his resurrection. So he had been resurrected from the dead and he had been received into heaven. And what it's saying is he will not be dispatched back to earth until all, all the criteria are met, basically, until all things happen as they were supposed to. So he's going to send them back or send him back to earth at some point. So that's what it's talking about here. Verse 22 says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So what it's saying is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is affirming here that Jesus is in fact the prophet that Moses foretold, that the nation of Israel was waiting on, that, that people had looked forward to receiving. And so what we see here is that Jesus fulfills a function as a prophet. And as we've talked about this over the last few weeks, um, one of the things I've mentioned is that prophets were not very popular people. Uh, prophets were typically raised up for a season in which the culture was, um, they might they were not pro-God, and they might even be combative toward God. They might be in open rebellion toward God. And this is where the prophets would come on the scene, and they would speak truth. So prophets' job was to speak truth to people who didn't want to hear truth. Have you ever had a conversation like that before? You know how challenging it is when it's a person? Now think about it being a society of people, a culture of people. But this is what a prophet would do. A prophet would speak truth. What we see is in 1 Kings twenty two fourteen, 14, the prophet Micaiah, who you may not be familiar with, he's more of a minor prophet, um, he said this, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell only what the Lord tells me. And this is a good summation of what prophets did. Uh, what the, the prophet Micaiah was saying is, I can only tell the king what the Lord is actually speaking to me. Because a prophet could only say what the Lord was telling them to say. And if a prophet said anything more or less, they were in danger. Because this is the deal. Uh, false prophets, according to Scripture and what we see historically, um, could be punished for false prophecy by death. So if you prophesied something and it didn't come to pass, they would take you outside the city and throw rocks at you until you died. 
So you can imagine how people wouldn't be signing up for that job very quickly, right? Like, yeah, I'll give that a try. Like, yeah, what could it hurt, right? So prophets had to make sure I'm only going to say what God has told me to say. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm not going to say anything less. And this is what they did. And they were, un, they were unpopular because they were typically telling people things they didn't want to hear. So let me put this in perspective for you. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have the king of Israel, or Judah, depending on before splits, all those kind of things. But the king of Israel, he had authority, he had power, uh, and he was basically sovereign. His powers were limited by the scope of the law, the word of God. So the word of God limited his powers in some ways because if he stepped outside of those bounds, he would be in some trouble. Um, but other than that, he had a lot of freedom to do what he was supposed to do as long as he was in alignment with God. Now, there was a judiciary set up as well. And the judiciary was made up of the priests. So the priests and the high priests, the Levites, made up the judiciary. Um, so they would settle disputes. They, would, they were the, the court of law for the nation of Israel. Uh, and so this was even applied to the king, whoever the king may be. And so if he stepped out of line, they could keep him accountable, hold him accountable for what he did. They could, they could call him out if he needed to be. But one of the problems we see is there were times that the judiciary was influenced by the king because he had a lot of power, he had a lot of authority, and they didn't want to pass judgment on him because sometimes because they're like, well, he's a good guy, or well, he can make our lives miserable. And so they were influenced at times not to pass judgment on him or not to be good judges, even though they should be. And so sometimes they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do according to the law. And this is where the prophet would come in. Because the prophet, um, when I imagine him, does anybody remember, all, all of my references, cultural references are related to Looney Tunes somehow. Does anybody remember the Tasmanian devil? And he would just come in, he was a tornado, right? And he would come in, and he would just tear stuff up. This is almost what I imagine a prophet doing. They would come in, and they would just, they didn't care who, who liked them or didn't like them. They didn't care how popular they were. They were just showing up to, to tell truth, right? I'm just here to tell you what God has told me. And we think about it in a mean way, and they're very, very, very direct. And so they would show up on the scene, and they'd go, King, you're living in sin. You're not supposed to be doing that. Here's what God says, right? Or priests, because he would call the priests out as well, or they would call the nation out as well. And so as a result, people didn't like them very much. And what we see is some of them had very short lifespans because of some of the things they were part of, some of the things they did. What we see, the prophet Isaiah that we talked about uh, last week and the week before a little bit, he, he made this statement in Isaiah 6, 9, that the people that he was working with or prophesying to were ever hearing but never understanding, that makes some of the parents, you relate to that with your kids, they're ever hearing but never understanding. Some of you that teach school, you feel like your room is full of those kids, they're ever hearing but never understanding. Uh, can you imagine trying to lead a group of people like that? And ultimately, what we see, according to tradition, is that it eventually led to his death. He was martyred um, for his faith and for what he did. Uh, what we see is Ezekiel, he was uh, a prophet as well. At Ezekiel 12 too, he said that he ministered to a rebellious people. So they were actively against God. Not only were they passive toward God, but they were actively against God. What we see is the queen of Israel tried to make, uh, try to take Elijah's life, the prophet Elijah. She tried to have him killed. And Jeremiah, who we've talked about a little bit, he was thrown into a well, a cistern, um, where he sank into the mud. He was trapped. Um, so what we see is over and over and over, these guys had difficult lives because of the assignment they had on their lives. This, Stephen, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, um, Stephen was martyred 
while Paul held the coats and watched. At the time, he was Saul before God had transformed him. And so Stephen is martyred for the cause of Christ. He refuses to renounce his faith in Jesus. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Was there ever a, prof- a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? So he asked this to the religious leaders at the time. And this is what I would tell you today. God longs for a group of people to speak truth to our culture. But there's so much pressure to not speak truth because we want to fit in, we want to be nice, we don't want to offend anyone, we don't want to hurt anyone. But I think God longs for his people to speak truth. Now you go, well, I can be mean with some people. I've been waiting. Like, I've been trying it out on Facebook, right? (laughs) And this is what you have to understand. Um, The prophet's job was not to offend. The prophet's job was to reconcile. So, So what God desired for the prophet to do was speak truth in such a way that people could recognize where they're gone wrong, and they could make a turn and be reconciled to God. God was never trying to punish them. That's not what he was interested in. What he was interested in was reconciliation. Now, the prophet would say sometimes, hey, if you don't change, this is what's going to happen. But it's not like God was counting down the clock, like, I can't wait, I'm going to nail them. His heart was, man, they're on the wrong path that leads to destruction. I want them to turn. I want to be in a relationship with them. And so when we speak truth to people, our goal has to be reconciliation. It has to be, man, they're on the wrong path. I want, I want them to know God. I want them to experience life. Does that make sense to anybody? And so this is what we see in Christ. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 12. He says, for I have not spoken of my own authority, but, of the, but the Father who sent me has himself given me commandment, this commandment, what to say and what to speak. He says, I'm only going to say what the Father tells me to say. I'm only going to do what the Father tells me to do. That's it. And this is the job of a prophet. And Jesus lives that out because Jesus was the one speaking truth to people. What we see over and over is Jesus would speak truth to people even when it was not popular. Um, One of the stories we talked about not long ago, the woman at the well. What we see is Jesus is waiting at this well. This woman comes out to meet him, uh, or comes out to draw water out of the well, and he engages her in this conversation. And he doesn't water down truth in her situation. He doesn't, he doesn't make it, you know, a spoonful of sugar with it. Like, he just speaks truth to her, but he does it in love to reconcile. So she says, he says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. Does that sound, <laughs> does that, that doesn't sound very loving, does it? But it's exactly what she needed to hear. He speaks this to her. He speaks the truth to her. And what ends up happening is she's ultimately reconciled to God. She brings all the people in her village out to hear about this guy and to to meet the God that he knows. And this is what happens. And this is what Jesus does over and over and over again. Even in your life, um, Jesus speaks truth to us. And we go, that's not comfortable. And I don't know if I want to do that. And I don't know. But the truth is, over and over and over, he's speaking truth to us. And he's not doing it to make us feel bad, to make us think we're horrible people. He's doing it so we can be reconciled to him, so we can come home to him. That's his ultimate desire. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants from us as well. So Jesus is our prophet. He also serves as our priest. So there's three things I'm going to mention to you, the two left, uh, prophet, priest, and king, and we saw how these three function in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the only one that can do all three of these roles. 
What we see is a priest is that uh, throughout Scripture, he, or throughout the New Testament, he's called a priest or a, a high priest. Um, if you want to read more about Jesus' role as our high priest, uh, read Hebrews chapter 9. I don't have time to get into all of it today. It is so rich when it talks about Christ as our high priest. Um, but what we see in the Old Testament is the main role and responsibility of the high priest was to offer, um, offer sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the people. So in the Old Testament, people... Um, People had to bring sacrifices to God, and one day a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial animal on the mercy seat, on the throne of God. And by doing that, that would cover, that would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. So literally, the whole nation would wait outside and wait for this moment, and he would go in, and he would represent the people to God, and he would represent the God to people, and he would make sacrifice so that they could be covered. Now, this, this has some roots all the way back to Moses. Uh, Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai to receive the, the word of God, and he was, he was kind of going back and forth, and, and people were seeing what was going on up at the mountain. They were seeing the, th- the lightning, they were hearing the thunder, and they were intimidated, they were scared of God's presence. And they finally said, God, uh, they said, Moses, we don't want to talk to God, you go talk to God for us. Um, there's times that my girls, I think, will have mama talk to me for them. They're like, I don't want to talk to dad about this. You talk to dad about this. And this is that moment when they go, no, 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 we're, we're done with this. You go talk to him. And so Moses interceded. And what we see here from then on in the Old Testament is there is always an intermediary. There is always a go-between who is the high priest. But this is what we have to understand. When Christ came, um, what he did was he became our intermediary. So what he did is he represented us to God. He went before us to God. And instead of having to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, he became the sacrifice. That his blood is what covered us. His blood is what atones for us. So we don't need a yearly sacrifice. We have a once and for all sacrifice in Christ. So he represented us to God and he represents God to us. But this is what I want you to understand. And I hope you hear my heart in this because um, I want to be very sensitive how I communicate this. There are a number of folks in our church uh, who come to our church that have Catholic backgrounds, and I don't have a problem um, with the Catholic church. Uh, There are some things that I really love and some things I'm not crazy about, but at the end of the day, there are some people, there are lots of people who love Jesus in the Catholic church that are going to heaven. So understand my heart when I say this today. In the Catholic church, you have a priest, and the priest is the one you talk to about your sins. You you go to your priest, and the priest is the one who absolves you of your sins. Uh, You go to your priest, and the priest is the one who gives you communion. Um, the, the priest in, in, some, uh, in some settings is the only one that you can really hear the word of God from. And, and this is what I want you to understand. Some of you have gone from a Catholic church, you come to this church, but you've only traded one priest for another priest because you look at me as your priest. And this is what I want you to understand. I am not your intermediary. We have an intermediary, and his name is Jesus Christ. And because we have Jesus Christ, you don't have to come to me to have your sins absolved. Do you know why? Because you can go directly to God to have your sins absolved. You don't have to come to me to give you direction in life because you can go directly to God and let him give you direction for life. Now, this is what you have to understand. Um, Jesus paid the price for us to have that access. Uh, So today, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done because of what Christ did as our high priest, you can go directly to God now. So understand this. You can hear from God just as clearly as I can. Some of you are like, I don't think so. (laughs) It's true. You don't need me to give you a divine word. Do you know why? Because you have access to the same God I've got access to. 
It's not like I've got VIP access, like, well, you can get into this area of the knowledge of God, but I've got, no. Everything I've got access to, you've got access to. We all have access through Christ. Does that make sense? So understand today, he is our intermediary. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Because he serves as our high priest, because he is the one who has gone before us, because he's the one who's paid the sacrifice for us, he has torn the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the people. Now there is no dividing line between us and God. We have full access to God. There's reason to celebrate today, right? I'm thankful that we can have a relationship with God. I'm thankful that we can have access to our Heavenly Father. So Christ serves as our prophet, as our priest, and then thirdly, as our king. As I said before, kings in the Old Testament had, had rule. They had authority. And when we think of most kings, what we think about is um, power, don't we? We think of just kind of unquestioned rule. If you're the king, man, is there anything better? Is there anything more powerful than a king? And what we see in Scripture over and over in the, in the Gospels, Jesus is described as a king. When Gabriel announces to Mary uh, that God was going to give her a son, he, says, he describes her son and says that he's going to be on the throne of David and that he's going to rule the house of Jacob forever. So he talks about him in royal terms. When the magi, when the, the wise men show up to worship Jesus, they, they ask for the king of the Jews, Right? When Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the last time, uh, we call it Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before the resurrection. Uh, When he comes into town, he's riding in on a young donkey, and people are laying palm leaves at his feet, and they're crying out. They're not saying, man, what a great guy he is. What a great teacher he is. No, they're decreeing him king. That's what they're saying, that he is king. He's royalty. When he's arrested... He's arrested because people are calling him king. The soldiers mocked him as king. When Pilate asked him if he were king of the Jews, Jesus replied and said, it is as you say. And then he goes on to say, my kingdom does not belong to this world. He says, I'm a king. You better believe I'm a king, but I'm not a king like you would expect me to be. And we see this over and over in his life. The final charge that was written against Jesus was Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. But this is one of the things that is dramatically different from Jesus and most kings. Because most kings, they want as much authority and power as they can get. They want as much esteem as they can get. In fact, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy at the guidelines for kings, it says that they're not supposed to accumulate horses, they're not supposed to accumulate silver, they're not supposed to accumulate wives, because it's not supposed to be about the king. But yet over and over and over again, the kings we see, even in the world we live in today, the people you see that have authority, they love to accumulate power, they love to accumulate money, they love to satisfy their desires because it's all about them. But what we see in the life of Christ is his kingdom advancements, but it's not through power, it's not through sheer authority, it's not through him just saying, I'm the king, don't you know that? It's quite different. The way the kingdom of Jesus advances is through humility, it's through sacrifice, and it's through service. Jesus advances his kingdom by serving the people (laughs) that that are in his kingdom. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples on the night that that some of them are going to run off and betray him. 
Jesus chooses to serve in spite of who he really is. Because you have to imagine, he must have been thinking, don't you guys know what I'm about to do? Don't you know I'm God incarnate? Do you have any idea? Yet over and over and over, what he did was serve and bless. He is a powerful king. He is a righteous king, but he is a benevolent, loving king. Matthew 20, 25 says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, no other king would do something like that. There is no other king like our king. And that's why, although men could not serve as prophet, priest, and king, because we're flawed deeply, we couldn't serve in all three roles We can have flashes or moments where maybe we can do multiple things, but the truth is we can't really sit in all three of those seats or fulfill all those roles like we should because of our own humanity, but we see Christ can fulfill all three of those roles sitting in all those seats, and this is what he does. In our own lives, he will speak truth to you. If you're listening, he's going to speak truth to you even if you don't like it. Even when it's uncomfortable, he's going to speak truth to you. But it's never to punish you or never to make you feel guilty or never to hurt you. It is always to help you, always to reconcile you, always to make things right. Because he's our prophet. He's gone before you. And he's interceded for you to God. He's defended you to God. When we were sinners, when we were rebellious, when we were enemies to the cross, enemies to God, Jesus went before us and said, hey, let me lay down my life. Let me sprinkle the blood. Let me give myself because he is our high priest and because he's our high priest, we have access to our heavenly father. And he longs to be our king, not a king who's gonna boss us around, not a king who's gonna be a jerk and tell us and and enslave us, but he's a a king who loves us. He's a benevolent king. He wants to give you direction. He wants to help you get to where he wants you to be but he's going to do it like a shepherd, not like a cattle driver, because he's a good king. You know, earlier I mentioned, Nathaniel said, what good could come from Nazareth? And some of you are hearing this stuff about, about Jesus, that he's a prophet, priest, and king. You go, Mel, that's great, but the truth is, that's not for me. Because, gosh, I've been through too much, I've done too much, I've hurt too much, I've made so many mistakes. Gosh, I'm a mess, I'm, I'm an addict. I've been divorced. I've hurt so many people. I've got an arrest record. I've got whatever it might be. So that's not really for me because how could a God like that love me? What good could come from me? And I would tell you this. Every person in this place, if you are breathing in and out, God's got a purpose and a plan for you that goes beyond anything you could imagine. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, that's what you got to say. You're the pastor. Of course you say that. But if I could take you all individually and hold you by the shoulders and look you in the eye and tell you, I would tell you, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You are valuable beyond what you ever recognized. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with who your parents were. It has nothing to do with um, how good your childhood was or how much money you've got. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with us having a king who has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. 
And all he's asking you to do is surrender your life and say, you are in control. I want you to be king. I want you to be an authority over my life. I surrender control. You are king. That's what he'll do. That's what he desires today. So maybe you're here and you've never surrendered authority to the king. You've never recognized the fact that, man, he's speaking truth to your life and he's speaking truth to you to bring you home. You've never recognized the fact that he is our high priest and he has paid the price for our sins and all we have to do is accept him. But ultimately, we have to make him king of our lives and surrender our will over to him and say, God, whatever you want for me, that's what I want. My life is yours. What I have is yours. I surrender it to you. Because the truth is, some of us, have accepted him as Savior, but we've never really made him king of our lives. There's areas of our lives we've held back. You can be Lord over that, but not over Lord over this. And the truth is, he wants everything. Not because he's a maniacal king, but because he's a good king. He's a benevolent king. So today, whether you've never surrendered your life to Christ, or maybe you're here and you're a Christian, you're a believer, but the truth is there's still areas of your heart that you haven't surrendered. I believe today's your day. So why don't you bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you. Lord, we can trust you because you are a prophet. And sometimes you speak truth to us and it hurts and it's difficult and we don't want to hear it, but we know if you say it, it must be true. So God, I pray that you would help us see that your desire is to reconcile us, to bring us home. God, I thank you that you will have sent Jesus as our priest, that he intercedes for us, that he is laid down his life for us, that he didn't just offer a sacrifice, he was our sacrifice. And because of that, we have access, firsthand access to God. Lord, I thank you that, that Jesus is our king as well, that he, he wants to rule our lives, direct our lives, and he wants to do it in a way that um, leads us, that is gentle and loving. So God, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to this, these facts. God, I pray that we would remove ourselves off the, the throne of our own lives and let you be king today. So God, have your way among us. Speak life into this place. Now, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you say, Mel, what you described is me, I'm not, really, I'm not really living for God. I've gone through the motions. I know the right things to say, but the truth is I've never really surrendered my life to him. And today I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to surrender it all to him. I want to make him Lord of all. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. And if that's, if that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right down. Thank you. Yeah, a couple of hands on my left over here. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, I see your hands. Praise the Lord. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel. Today's my day. I want to surrender it all to him. I want to make him king of my life. Thank you, over here on my right, I see you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Say, pray for me, Mel. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. I see you, in, yeah, thank you. Both hands on my right, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross because you are my high priest you made a way for me I'm asking you today to be my king to lead me direct me and rule my life 
Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Now listen to me, if you prayed that and you meant it, I just want you to know you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come, that you might not feel different, but you are different in the eyes of heaven today. So this is what we'd like you to do. We want to help you grow in your faith and take the next step in your faith journey. Take one minute and take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. On the side that says salvation, fill that out for us real quickly. And then in just a minute, when we're finished here, uh, when we dismiss, you can take that card over to the info center out in the lobby. They want to give you a free Bible just to help you get started and help you on your faith journey. And they're going to also give you some resources for relationships and uh, groups that you can get connected with to begin to grow in your faith. So that's what's gonna happen when we finish here in just a minute. If you're watching online and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. We're gonna respond back to you. We'll help you get connected and begin to grow in your faith as well. So here's what's gonna happen now. The worship team's gonna lead us in one more song. We're gonna sing together and we're gonna worship our King. And while we're singing, our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, before you leave, stop by, find one of them, let them pray with you. And then in just a moment, when we're finished singing, Pastor Ricky Ingram, our youth pastor, he's gonna come up and he'll close us out and dismiss us. But please do me a favor, unless you have an emergency, please don't step out. Let's continue to worship together and pray together. And then in just a moment, I promise, we're gonna be out of here in just a minute, I promise. So in then just a minute, we'll be dismissed. So stand your feet all over the room. Uh, don't forget, next weekend is Christmas Eve. Bring somebody with you, and uh, let's see what God does. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you, and have a great week.